God does not tell us all kinds of details. He just doesn't, evidently he doesn't feel like they're important enough. Or maybe he knows people well enough to know that if he told us, well, there you go. <laughs> Yay. He knew that if he told us that it would cause problems because then people would say, well, I'm the purveyor of certain things and you have to do it this way. Even when a lot of things aren't that important. We're going over on Wednesdays right now a bunch of questions like, what is God? What is a Trinity? How can you define the Trinity? All these things. None of that has anything to do with salvation. Nobody in the history of the world has died and not been saved because they didn't know how to explain the Trinity or to explain God. It's never happened. It's never happened. We could, I could take you into the Bible in the Old Testament where people, the guy, his name is Naaman. He was an officer to the king of Syria. He knew nothing except that there was a true living God out there and he wanted to serve him. And you know what Elisha told him? Go live a good life. That was it. Believe on God and have a good life. He didn't tell him any sacrifices. He didn't give any... Even that, his job, one of his jobs, he had two jobs. One was he was a general in the army. The second was is that he was actually supposed to, because the king was really old, take the king in. He was the only person the king trusted. He would take the king into the temple of Ramon. And when the king would bow down to this pagan god, he was to put his arms in front of him so in case he fell, he wouldn't stumble and like make a fool out of himself in front of the god. Elisha, he told Elisha that. And you know what Elisha said? Did he tell him to stop doing that job? Did he tell him, you're not allowed to work in this pagan temple? Did he tell him, you have to quit doing that? Did he tell him? No. He said, believe in the living God. Do your job. <laughs> That's it. That's what he told him. He didn't even tell him. He's working in a pagan temple. And he never even told him to stop doing that. He just said, well, that's your job. That's your job. Live a good life. Believe in God. Believe in the living God. The true living God. So, salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. And what he did. He died, resurrected. That's it. If you believe that, you're good. That's what you need. Everything else... Speculation. Some of it's really good. Very, I have a feeling, like I'll say, well, I really believe this really strongly. That's because it's, it seems really reasonable. It's been thought out by a lot of smart people, and it's reasonable. However, there are things we don't know. Like, communion, how often do you do it? God said, as often as you, Jesus said, as often as you do it. <laughs> you have denominations that split because some said, well, you have to do it every single time you meet. Another said, well, we do it three times a year. And one said, well, you only have to do it on Easter. That's split people. Our churches split over that. Yeah. And what did Jesus say? As often as you do it. That was it. So what? Split a church over sipping some grape juice or whatever? Come on. I mean, it doesn't make sense. There are things that we, we put in because it's tradition. We like our traditions. We feel comfort in the familiar. Even somebody who says, well, I'm not into traditions. Yeah, but you still probably have a routine. 
whether it's you wake up every morning, you do this certain thing, you want, go take a shower, you get dressed at a certain time, you go to work, you come home, you play a video game on Xbox Live, you do whatever. You have a routine that you do. And people who don't have a routine that they do, guess what? That's still a routine. They just do whatever. They're just doing what they do. That's comfortable to them. If you try to put them in the routine, they say, well, I can't do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, feel comfortable? Yeah. This is about comfort. That's where we make up a lot of these things. Our series that we're doing is called Misunderstandings. And there's a lot of ways you can have misunderstandings. There are misunderstandings like, for a long time, people thought Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. That comes from a misunderstanding. That's because in one chapter, it's talking about Jesus healing a woman of seven demons, a woman as Mary of Magdala. And in the next chapter, it's saying a woman who was sinful of prostitution. And they're, oh, it's the same person. The thing is, it makes it clear that Mary was, had like seven demons that she was possessed with. That was it. She wasn't a prostitute. That's a misunderstanding. But it's prevailed to this day. To this very day. Even so much that 20, 30 years ago, the Catholic Church had to actually, which is kind of funny, put out a memo saying they apologize to Mary Magdalene, the saint, Mary Magdalene, for calling her a prostitute for a thousand years. Which is kind of funny to me, again, because I mean, she don't care. <laughs> but we apologize for things. Why, but why does it stick around? Even till recently, there's been movies written where she's portrayed as a prostitute. It just becomes a part of the, of the myth that surrounds the truth. So there are misunderstandings also in what do words mean? If somebody says, I may go to the store. You say, okay, well, may can have a lot of meanings. They might be saying, I might go to the store. But then again, may can mean might, means shall. I shall go to the store, meaning I'm going to the store. It means different things. There's a misunderstanding. Well, you take it this way, I take it this way. We make up our mind, and that's how it works. Today's is controversial because... I'm going to give you the title and give you a second to process it. Already yesterday, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, on Facebook. I have a, I'm a group with a group of uh, other like preachers and pastors and stuff. And we have a rule, a hard and fast rule. We do not discuss theology. We might say, I'm having a hard time, whatever. Keeping the snow off the thing. How do you guys do it? I'm having a hard time buying Bibles. How do you guys do it? It's stuff like that, where we don't talk theology. Because we have Catholics in here. We have all kinds of different people. Southern Baptists, you know, Independent Baptists. We have all kinds. One of my best friends online right now is a, uh, a UMC pastor. Great guy. Love the guy to death. But so I put in every Saturday, we just put the title in the scripture. With no explanation. We don't talk about it. On, just put it in. Which is great because sometimes you look it up and it spurs on thoughts that you love. I wonder what they mean by that. I put that on yesterday and was immediately attacked by somebody breaking our hard and fast rule about not discussing theology. The title is Judas Iscariot 
may actually be in heaven. Judas Iscariot may actually be in heaven. I was, no, he's not. He's in hell. You were wrong. I don't have the time to explain it to you. Bye. That's what I was told. <laughs> That's your opinion. I actually have a subtitle just because of that guy. Judas Iscariot may actually be in heaven. We are not sure because we are not God. There you go. Hedge it. Kathy says she's saved. I have to believe her. I'm not God. I don't know her heart. I say I'm saved. None of you are God. None of you know. It's between me and God. Chip says he's saved. It's Chip and Jesus Christ's relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I have to take him for his word. He's made a dedication. He said it. And he seems to live a life that, would, I, as far as I can say, I have no reason to doubt it. But even if I did have a reason to doubt it, I'm not God. I don't know. Maybe it's a rough spot in my life. Some people get saved. And like we were reading today about when you're throwing out seeds and, you know, talking about the things that grow up being like people get saved. When it starts to grow, sometimes Satan pounces on it. And it's hard to grow. Sometimes people leave for a season and come back. They get saved. Life gets tough. It seems like God is disappointing them. And they leave and they come back. Does that mean they were not saved during that entire time? I don't know. I'm not God. I would seriously doubt it. I honestly believe. I, I get accused of what's called easy believism. You believe in Jesus Christ. Yes. Believe what he did on the cross. Paid the penalty and you can go to heaven. Yes. You're saved. I don't see why we need to add anything to it. Paul never adds anything to it. I don't need to add anything to it. However, we like to be like, well, there's three misunderstandings that I've figured out about this that people will put in to say, why Judas Iscariot is not, oh, he's in hell for sure. Number one, and I'm going to have you guys jumping around in scripture, so if you want to go with me, do it. If not, because typically I just do one chapter at a time, but today, and like I've done recently, which is probably driving some people nuts now, I'm going to jump around quite a bit because this is going to just be a little bit here, a little bit there. The very first point is Judas committed suicide. That is an unforgivable sin. I have been told that. That is a Catholic teaching. Murder of oneself is unforgivable. You go to hell. You cannot go to heaven for it. It's, I guess you could say it makes sense if you really, if you try to work it out, but it's wrong. It's a misunderstanding. Our first is going to be Mark 3. Mark, in chapter 3. We're going to 28th verse. This comes after an episode where Christ is casting out demons, he's casting out devils, he's doing all kinds of good things. And then they say, well, we think he's using Satan's power, not God's power to do this, all this work. And so, you know, they're blaspheming him. They're saying that something is... Blasphemy means to make something that's bad seem good or make something that's good means bad. That's what it means. People think it just means to say something bad about God or something. It means to make something that seems good or bad seem good or something that seems good be bad. Make it the opposite. That's what it means. So, especially in a King James Bible, that's, that is the strict definition of it. Make something mean the opposite. 
So, in the 28th verse of the third chapter of Mark, it says, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven to the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall never have has never forgiveness, but is in danger of the eternal damnation. Because they said, he has an unclean spirit. So he's saying, they're blaspheming me, the Son of God. The man, God is a person, and he's telling them all sins, including the blasphemy right there, is forgiven. Except one. What is it? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Again, people, if you have a wrong definition of blasphemy, you say, well, yeah, say something bad about the Holy Spirit. It means to make something that's good seem bad or wrong, or something that's right seem wrong, or something that's wrong seem right. Do not. And so, what is the Holy Spirit's job right now? What is the Holy Spirit's job after the cross, after God, Christ died, resurrected, he sent a comforter, and what does the Holy Spirit do? He has two jobs. What does he do? Anybody. He comes and he works on the hearts of men. And he does. He pulls us to God. When you were not saved, he worked on your heart and wooed you to God. He softened. He called to you. He worked on you to get you to a place where you could believe in God. And if you haven't yet, then it means he's still working. Once you're saved, he then begins the process of working, continuing, but he amps it up to where now you slowly but surely begin the, uh, the operation of getting better and working on yourself, working on your sins, or, so that you can become a better testimony like Christ is a perfect testimony. You become more like Christ. This is a process. Nobody completes it. Nobody will ever, you can live to be 300 years old, you will never be perfect. You'll always have a fault, always, but will always be working on you. That's done on purpose. So that nobody can say, I've arrived, because they haven't. You only arrive when you're in heaven. That's it. But the Holy Spirit has two jobs. One to call, and to woo, and to bring, and one to, after you've done, to work even harder to bring you into a better relationship with God. So what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but denying the Spirit what he's doing? Not getting saved. Not believing in the cross. Not believing in Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit's working on you, and some people, it's really like that. They'll be sitting in the pew going, man, it sounds good and all, but I just, no, just no. Give myself away. I have to change. No. No, I'm not doing it. You are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You are saying what the Holy Spirit's doing, which is good, is bad. I'm not going to do it. It's going to change my life. I don't like it. So why is that not forgiven? Because you don't believe. That's the only sin. If you don't believe in the cross, you, by definition, can't be yeah. saved by the cross. So you, you're going to go to hell. That's, that's it. So what's the one sin that is not forgiven? Unbelief. That's it. All other sins are forgiven, including those who blasphemed Christ to his face. He's saying, you can be forgiven. 
Every sin can be forgiven, including what you're saying now. You could spend your whole life as an ardent atheist just destroying the churches and just... God brings you to a moment of humbling and you say, you know what? And you convert and you say, I believe. I don't know how, but I believe that Christ did it. Guess what? You're saved. That's how it works. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unbelief. Denying him his job. So that's why it is unforgivable. Suicide, it's sad. I know plenty, I've, I've actually worked funerals of people who've killed a 14-year-old boy who killed himself. He was in a very dark place. He was in a very, he was, mentally, he was not okay. I do not believe he was in a right mind to make right decisions at the moment which he killed himself. You can't be. Just like somebody says, well, I don't think this person killed another person, you know, whatever, shot somebody, to, you know, in their home, shot a, their spouse. They weren't in their right mind. Of course they weren't in their right mind. You have to be out of your mind, out of your right mind to kill somebody. Maliciously. You can do it on accident. God is okay with doing it on accident. It's if you, I mean, if you're fighting and you push somebody, they fall and hit your head. It happens. God made provision for it in the Old Testament. It happens. But for you to lie and wait, oh, I'm going to kill him. You have to be out of your mind. Doesn't mean you're not still, don't still have to face the punishment for it, of, of doing that sin. Which, what's the sin? Murder. The thing is, though, is if you can't, he was in a bad place. God is, really, God is going to say, you know what? You believed on me. Even up to the end, you were still trying to work in mission trips. And you got back from it. You were doing all this stuff, and you'd always, and you really believed, but you just were so in a dark place that you killed yourself. No. No, sorry. I don't know. Now, one could argue, did you ever know God? I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that. I'm not God. But as far as I know, the kid was saved, but he was not mentally right. And we know that anybody who is not mentally fit is not culpable for their actions directly. So, suicide is not an unforgivable sin. Unbelief is the only unbelievable sin. It's one misunderstanding. Second misunderstanding. Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas has to be in hell. Come on. That's literally what's said to me. Judas betrayed Jesus directly. He has to be in hell, correct? Believe it or not, that isn't a straight-up argument given to me by a preacher. Not like, anyway, a preacher. Let's jump to Luke 4 real quick. It's just a few pages to your right. In your Bibles. Well, by few, it's probably going to be about 15. Okay, so Luke 4, this is where Jesus gets ready to start his ministry. He's been baptized, now he's going to go start his ministry. And verse 1 says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, 
If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it shall be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showing him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this power I will give you, and the glory of them, for that is delivered to me, and to whosoever I will give it. And if you therefore will worship me, all shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get behind me, get ye behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him high on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, You be the Son of God, cast yourself down from here. For it is written, Ye shall give his angels charge over you, and keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answering, he said, to him, it is said, You shall not tempt, test the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended all his temptation, he departed from him for a season, a period of time. Departed him for a period of time, meaning he came back. Where does he come back? We're going to go. Luke has it, but John says it more directly. John 13. Keep moving. Told you I'm going to move you around a lot today. John 13, chapter. They both say it, just that Luke has a lot more words in there. I want something that's more concise, exactly what was said. And John's a lot more to the point. So, John 13, chapter 27th. By the way, I just want to point out that you notice all those temptations, those are hedonism, by the way. Hunger or satisfaction, um, ego, um, wealth, power, materialism, pride, you know, stuff like that. Those hedonism. So all of those, God, he, Satan was tempting him with every single type of temptation that he could have. So, in John, in the 13th and the 27th verse, it says, you know, this is where Jesus says, one of you at the table is going gonna, is gonna to betray me. And everybody says, is it me? Is it me? Jesus says, the one that at which, you know, dips his hand and takes a piece of bread and eats it with me. And after the sop, he hands the sop to Simon. Right here, I'll start at 26. It says, Jesus answered, he is it to whom I shall give a sop, meaning dips bread in again, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus to him, That you do, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew what intent he spoke to him. For some of them thought Jesus thought because Jesus, Judas had the bag that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things that were in need against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. In all honesty, that's the last temptation of Christ. Satan's final work. When Satan had taken, everyone in the Gospels agrees, Satan had taken possession of Judas. Now Judas is he's culpable for that. 
he you give Satan a foothold, Satan will do it. But the thing is, we see that this is Satan working. Satan tempted him throughout the 40 days, and then at the end, Satan comes back and enters Judas and does this. Is anybody, oh, they were tempted, they're, they're possessed by a devil, they're possessed by Satan, they're possessed by a demon. They're, they're gone forever. They can't be saved. They can't ever get over that. We've got tons and tons. I mean, the first miracles God has, he, Jesus goes and casts a legion of demons out, thousands of demons out of a man. We see him cast demons out of people, and they become evangelists. They go around and start preaching the word, and preaching and evangelizing. Judas, I believe, made a mistake. He allowed a foothold. I will say first, I will say flat out, I believe Judas thought he could get the money. Jesus wasn't going to die. Jesus was going to get out. And so Judas thought, yeah, I can get this money. We can go ahead and give it to some poor people. We can escape the clutches like we keep doing. We're good to go. Thing is, is Judas was giving in temptation of the flesh. That ego he's giving into materialism and wealth that he would say, well, we can do this and then we can just get out of it and we got the money. He was not, he was, he was giving in to temptation, to that fleshly desire. But that doesn't mean he can't be saved. We know he was grieved by it. I will point out too, just if you want to put in a I have it written down. I'm not going to go to it because I'm taking a long time. But Luke 8, 2 is where Mary is healed. And Numbers 35, 22 to 25 is where you will find that, Christ, that God makes provision for people who murder unknowingly. Or it was not their intent. Or something happened. He says, listen, you know, he makes a city. Sanctuary city. He says, if you can go to the city, you can live in that city. Because if you didn't strike the person personally, you're not directly result in, in for the blood. So he gave, makes provision for people to accidentally kill, to accidentally be involved in something, to be a party to a caravan who robs somebody and kills them. He's not necessarily directly involved with that. He can live in, there's, God gives provision in the Old Testament. This you know, maniacal God who just wants bloodlust in the Old Testament. He gave provision that if you kill somebody, not knowing, or on accident, or mistaken, or you just didn't know what you were doing at the time, would cause something like that, that there is a way around it. Most of the time, all, actually, it did involve giving money, too, by the way. Uh, numbers 35. The entire chapter talks about it, but 22 to 25 is specifically where it gives that it gives the actual, like, seriously, it says if somebody lies in wait and, and hits somebody in the head with a rock, then they have they're, they are responsible. But if two people are striving and there was no anger previously, meaning they're striving, meaning they're pushing each other, and one falls, or one throws a rock, or one waves a stick not thinking that it's going to hurt and kills the other person, then it, it like literally goes through a series of events you could do and accidentally kill a person, and God was going to let you, basically you pay a ransom, or pay a fee for it, it's usually a several years fee, and you can live the rest of your life in a sanctuary city where that you don't have to deal with that. 
you have to, basically you live until the, the priest, who is the one who avenges the blood in your territory, until he dies. After he's dead, you can leave the city. Because one priest is not allowed to avenge the blood for the a previous priest's administration. So Again, that's all in the Bible. God is very, believe it or not, God is pretty lenient on a lot of this stuff. He, he doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but he really is. The third point is, that most people misunderstand, is Judas didn't believe in Jesus, so he couldn't have been saved. And that one seems like the most accurate. You say, well, I mean, he didn't believe in him, and come on. He sold him out, right? First of all, let's go back to Luke, 18th verse. 18th chapter. I told him I'm going to have you hopping around. Luke 18, I'm going to start in 30, 31. Why not? Now, this is just after uh, he's telling them, you know, you have to receive the word, you have to receive the kingdom of God like little children. You have to just believe. It's just faith. It's real simple. You don't have to put a bunch of stuff to it. Just believe it. The reason why he uses children is children don't, children really don't think things through when it comes to their parents. They don't say, oh, because she had me and she birthed me and she raised me to this point, I can trust her. Not all that's going through a little toddler's head. The toddler's going, this is mom. Why wouldn't I? So it's real simple. You don't have to put all this other stuff to it. That's what it means when it refers to being like, well, just believe. Just believe. It's that simple. So the 18th chapter, 31st verse says, then he took him, the twelve, and said to them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Remember, that's how he describes himself. Christ says, I am the Son of Man. That's his term for himself. So we're going to go to Jerusalem. This is, six, this is just before he goes, you know, in, in uh, Palm Sunday. He goes and rides in triumphantly. He says, Straight forwards. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered to the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, spitted on, or spat on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he will rise again. Hold him point blank what's going to happen. Before it happened. He said, now let's go so I can die. 34. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them. Neither they knew they the things which were spoken. None of the twelve knew. None of them. Because if they did, they wouldn't have let it happen. If they truly understood what was going on, they would have stopped him from being crucified. All they knew was there's a Messiah coming, and then he's going to go away, and he's going to come back. That's kind of what they had at the time. That's what it says. It was concealed so that it would happen. Paul refers to the fact that if... People knew the intention was to be crucified on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, so he could take the sins on him, so he could take the punishment. They never would have killed him. 
It would have stopped. But they weren't able to know. Therefore, they didn't stop it. So, say, well, Judas didn't believe. Otherwise, he would have known he was going to get killed. None of them understood it. None of them understood it. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back and I'm going to make a point here. We're going to go to John. We're going to go back to John. John 12. And this is not, for the new people, this is not normal for me to jump this much. So I do apologize. But John 12, and this is also mirrored in Mark and Luke also. But uh, from the first verse, or yeah, the first verse, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which he had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary, that's Lazarus' sister, not Magdalene, and a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. It says that it was like five years' worth of paychecks for this spikenard. That's how expensive this stuff was. This is good stuff. It's a, that's a, uh, it's a burial spice, but it's also used during like weddings and anointments for uh, bridegrooms, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then says one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, here's the next line I'm going to put in. Remember, John wrote this. John was young at this time. He was probably in his early 20s. John, every one of these people who read a gospel, write a gospel, they put a little bit of themselves in there. Luke is a physician. He's really detailed. He puts his own flavor on things. John is a very... He's, he's a very passionate guy. And he wants to make his point. So John does not forgive Judas very much. But so John, his personal opinion is that this he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bore what was therein. Then Jesus said, let her alone against the day my burying of my burying. Has she kept this for the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Now. Again, you can go to Mark 14 and and um, can't think of where it's at in Luke. I should have wrote that down. You have in Luke, they're not so harsh on Judas saying, oh, he was a thief. John's the lone one that's like, oh, he was just a thief. He's a terrible guy. Come on. I mean, John had a relationship with Jesus like he was an older brother that he really relied, or maybe even a father figure. So for John, imagine if somebody killed your dad. And instead of saying sorry, they committed suicide in remorse. You might not forgive him very well. You might hold a grudge against him. So you can forgive John for being a little upset at Judas. But the point is, none of them really understood. And Judas clearly had one of those minds where he was thinking all the time, what can we do to get money to, to, to help our journey, to help the poor, to help whatever it was, he, he, whatever's true thing. He was thinking that way. He's a money guy. Put him in charge of the money. Let's go back like a page and a half to John 10. 
and 37th verse. And this is why I believe that Judas was not directly. He didn't. Judas, I don't believe Judas thought that they were going to take Jesus in. Don't believe he thought that. And this is why. 37 says, he's talking about, you know, they're blaspheming Jesus. And basically he's saying, you know, 37. If I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe. And the father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode or stayed. Go back to uh, John 8. John 8, 20th verse. John 8, 20th verse. This is where the adulterous woman and all this, and he lets her go, and then he talks about how he's, him and, him and God in heaven are one. 20th verse says, These words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught, interesting as a treasury, as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. And even that, Jesus then tells them. So they're wanting to kill him, and then even the next verse, Jesus says, Then said Jesus again to them, I may go my way, and you shall seek me, or shall die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. So, we see, again, that what's, what's happening here. Let's go back one more page to John 7. 28th verse. John 7, 28th verse. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me. You know, ye both know me, and you know where, from where I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Saying he's from God. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not come. Sorry. And many of the people believed on him and said, This Christ comes. Will, when the Christ comes, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. They sent officers to take him. It says nobody laid a hand on him. He's just walking right out. He's going up right to the treasury of the people who would very people who would kill him later and saying what he has to say, and they say, get him. And he just walks out. This is repeated over and over and over again. He just walks away. They seek to kill him. He walks away. And they don't, whether this is some sort of, God thing, where they just are like, hey, get him, and he just kind of walks by him for some reason they don't do anything, or he was just crafty, and said, get him, and he kind of ducked behind somebody bigger than him, and sort of wandered, who knows, what, how exactly this works, but over, and over, and over again, 
He was being told, he was telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. Nobody understood it. They were saying, hey, let's kill him. They couldn't put a hand on him. For years, they couldn't put a hand on him. Then all of a sudden, Judas comes along and he meets with some of the priests and they say, we'll give you money if you lead us to Jesus. And Jesus, tell, and Judas even says to him, but you can't hurt him. Like right there, meaning you can't just walk up and stab him. Then we won't. Takes the money, leads him to Jesus. Takes the money, leads him to Jesus. I want to point out Zechariah 11, 13, written like 500 years before this, already mentions that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. 30 shekels, it says, but 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. So that, that is a, we already knew it was going to happen. They'd read it a thousand times. The priests who killed him, who gave the 30 pieces of silver to Judas, had that memorized. Because to be that priest, you had to have the Old Testament memorized. They knew it, and they still did it. They knew it, they had it memorized, they still did it. Let's go to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, starting in verse 3. By the way, this is... These priests have some cruel sayings here, man. These, these guys, whew. Matthew 27, third verse, says that, well, start in a second. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. Meaning he felt repent means to feel a pain. It's compared to childbirthing pangs. Hurts soul hurts so deep, literally physically hurts from it. Repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, get this, John Travolta has nothing on these guys. And they said to him, what is that to us? See you to that. That's a, here a guy is bawling his eyes out. I betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what is that to us? You did it. So like perfect, perfect villains, man. They did it. Five. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Now, it just, Matthew's mentioning it. He doesn't say a lot. He doesn't say how long it took. He doesn't say how, how it happened. He doesn't give you a bunch of details. Just as he and went and hung himself. So he doesn't tell us a lot about it. But so then 6 says, And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful, lawful for us to put them in the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. So they went ahead and bought a field with it because they couldn't put it back in the treasury because it was blood money. So we see that... Judas repented. He, was, he felt bad. He was... He repent. That's the same word used in Acts when they talk about the people repented and gave up their ways. The same exact word where they say the guy where he says, "What keeps me from you know you know how do I get saved?" They said, "Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ." Well, what is that? Repent of your unbelief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas clearly, clearly again, 
didn't realize. How did he think about that? He just led these people to him, and then he goes, wait a second, they're going to take him and kill him? What do you think they were going to do? I think it is clear he didn't realize that. He thought they were going to get 30 pieces of silver and walk away. Now, is that lust of, the, of wealth? Yes. Is that wrong? Yes. Is, does that mean he's going to hell? No. Not if he repented. Every sin, including blasphemy against the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, can be forgiven except unbelief. That's it. That's it. I'm going to put, we're just going to jump to Acts real quick, just because I'm going to point this out. Some people will say, um, there's a little bit of a difficult reading here. So Acts 1, Acts 1. And I just like to point stuff like this out so you're not blindsided by somebody. That people will say there's a people will say there's a contradiction in the Bible. Because in the 17th verse of Acts 1, it says, uh, well, I guess uh, this is when they're talking about replacing Judas with somebody else. They end up replacing him with Matthias. Start the 16th verse. It says, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Kind of graphic, kind of difficult. But... People say, well, that, that says he hung himself. The other one says his bowels gushed out on the field. I'm just going to tell you, if you ever go talk to a crime scene investigator, they'll say they are one and the same. Now, without getting too graphic, you hang yourself. There are certain things in your body that eat up food when you're alive. Those things can't eat food anymore because there's nowhere for it to escape to because you've cut off the air hole. They expand, they bloat, and if somebody were cut off from a high point and fell down after having been hung and bloated, that would happen. Split, and that would happen. He hanged himself over the field, and it was the very field. Now, the other thing is they say, well, it says he bought the field. The, the priests bought the field in Judas' name because they said, we can't keep it because it's blood money. So they bought a field. But it wasn't their money, so they bought it in Judas. For, because he's saying he bought it with the price. It was a trade. English. It's a tricky language. Go ask. God forgive me for this. I was going to say, go, go listen to George Carlin sometimes when he talks about the English language. Instead of Carlin, go talk to Gallagher. Listen to Gallagher. He does a whole... Home, home, pointing out the, the, the difficulties with the English language. English language is a tough language sometimes when it comes to things being misunderstood. There's no miscommunication here. Judas hanged himself. Again, suicide. Does that mean he's... No. There are sometimes you've done something that is so deep and so bad. The cut is so deep. It hurts so bad. You do the wrong thing. You just, you can't recover from it. There are people who have done things that with all the repentance in the world, 
they are hurt on the inside in a way they will never recover from it. And people do the wrong thing when they're hurt. Just because Judas could not forgive himself for the thing he had done does not mean God could not forgive him for the thing he had done. Even sending himself, Jesus Christ, to the cross. Somebody had to do it. If it wasn't Judas, it would have been somebody else. It might have been Simon the Zealot. Might have, somebody would have done it. It would have happened. That was the plan all along. Judas was the one who allowed the flesh to get in the way and make it possible to be used by Satan, which is why we need to cleave to the Holy Spirit is so that we don't allow ourselves to be vessels used by Satan, instead vessels used by God. But Judas, we don't know. And this, I believe, is important because there are people out there today who are hurt. They're so hurt, and they can never forgive. They will never forgive themselves for what they did, ever. And it may come to a point of serious, they may take their life. That does not mean they are irredeemable. God has made a way. He forgives you when you can't forgive yourself. He forgave you while you were an enemy of his. Not when you just didn't believe. He died for those who are his enemy. Jesus Christ said, what reward do you have for dying for somebody you love? Isn't true love, true charity, true kindness dying for somebody who would have ill will towards you? That's the Christ we serve. That's the God we serve. That is how it is, in my opinion. You may disagree. Everyone's allowed to be wrong. You don't have to agree with me. But I am telling you, I, I, I'm not saying he's there. And you might be surprised. You might get there, and he might be up there. Why? Because don't limit God to something you think he should do when God doesn't limit himself. Our God is limitless. Everyone is within reach. Nobody is outside of his reach.